if you've looked over the notes already, um, you'll see that the topic is sanctification. And you know how when uh, you only have a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail? Uh, everything leading up to today is like, man, this is, we're talking about sanctification. Bradley, when we were practicing uh, after church, like, this, this is perfect for right, for right before the message. Uh, Jake's song, the Poteet song, it all uh, was pointing towards uh, the message tonight. And usually, sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll, I'll arrange that. I, you know, being the guy who arranges the music, I can say, hey, would you sing this? Hey, let's do this. Uh, I didn't do any of that tonight. I, I told Bradley, I, like, I, I can't handle it this time organizing the music. You, would you please do this for me? Uh, so thank you very much for doing that tonight. Uh, today is September the 25th. 2022, just in case you didn't know that. On September 25th, 2002, I stood behind the pulpit for the first time to try to preach a message. 20 years ago tonight, uh, neither pastor nor I realized that when, we, uh, when, I, I, when it fell my lot to, to preach tonight. Um, it was less than a mile that way uh, at Longview Missionary Baptist Church. I was 16 years old. So if you do math, you can figure out how old I am now. Uh, that first message was seven minutes long. My introductions are now about seven minutes long. So uh, if you want the seven-minute version, wait for the end. You can get the seven-minute recap at the end. Uh, my topic was Sunday Christians. I couldn't tell you what my, my text was. Uh, I almost asked Mom to see if she knew offhand or could find it. She might have notes somewhere. Uh, I searched my notes, and I, I couldn't find them. Um, but in looking for notes and looking through some old papers, I found my notes from a buddy of mine's first sermon back in 2004. Uh, just a little bit, quarter of a page. So I snapped a picture and sent it to him. It's like, ha, 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 look how much you've grown since then because it was my 18-year-old handwriting was pretty rough and couldn't hardly make out. And then I uh, just talking with him about the change that's happened in his life over the last 18 years. Or not 18, whoa. Yeah, 18 years. Um, but in thinking about that, I got to thinking about you know, that first sermon. And I posed this question to several preachers. And those of you who, who preach, I pose this to you as a, as a bit of academic uh, research. Was that first sermon, that burden that you had, do you find these years later that that's a flowing theme in your ministry? So what I mean is that my topic was Sunday Christians. And my burden then, at 16 years old, was that God's people would take seriously the call to live daily for Christ, not just show up on Sunday and give God an hour. If you're really holy, if you're really good, you get an hour on Wednesday night. You know, two on Sunday, you get an hour on Wednesday night, and then you're the super Christian. My burden at that point was that we would take seriously that, as was talked about this morning, it's an ongoing daily burden. It's, a, it's an ongoing worship. And I find that, for me, that is still an ongoing burden that I have, is that we would live daily, moment by moment. Come to find out this is kind of part of sanctification. Uh, Thus we get into our topic tonight, sanctification. Uh, As you see in your notes, uh, if I were to title the the message tonight, it would be the will of God for his sanctification, the will of God for his children. Uh, From 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Father, that you still work. Lord, that you save souls and that you don't just leave us and say, good luck, go forth. Uh, but Lord, you are daily interested in our lives, that you are daily a part of us, that you grow us, that you uh, mold us to the image of your Son. I pray as we 
Uh, Go through your word tonight, Father, um, that you would give me boldness and clarity and that your word would go forth. That as your word is preached and read, as it's uh, spoken, that your spirit would take it to our hearts, Father, uh, and help us to glorify you today, tonight, and in all that we do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is sanctification? This is not something that you hear uh, in your 9 to 5, I'm sure. I'm sure Brother Jim, there at the plant, your boss doesn't come as part of your, if you have routine uh, quarterly reviews or whatever. It's like, let's talk about your sanctification, Mr. Jim. I'm sure this is not, not part of it. I was looking into it, and I, in my study, I will often look into the Greek to try to figure out what all other words. Um, I don't often, don't always try to get into it in the message because it's not always super, you know, applicable, helpful in the moment for the message. But I found this fascinating, and this may be something I've heard all my life. But you know, this is part of sanctification: is that God takes these things that we've heard over and over and over and over again, and then finally it gets through. It's like you're, you're trying to punch a, uh, you ever try to put a hole in leather and you just keep working, working, working. Finally, it gets through and you hope your hand's on the other side. Um, that's a lot what it feels like to me is that I hear these things over and over and over again and finally it gets through. So, sanctify comes from, the verb is the Greek verb hagiatso, uh, which sounds kind of Japanese when I say it like that. Um, but hagiatso and the uh, adjective, the describing uh, a word that describes a noun, uh, the adjective verb is hagias. So we see these, and I'm going to. You've got it in your uh, your notes, but uh, John fourteen twenty six, Jesus speaking. But the Helper, the hagias numa, numa being spirit, breath, wind, um, the hagias numa, Holy Spirit. So here, the sanctify adjective also means holy are pretty interchangeable. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This hagias numa. Here's this, this holy, this sanctified, this sanctified spirit, the set apart spirit, the sanctifying, if I can uh, kind of parse it out, sanctifying spirit. This is one of the works that the Spirit of God does in our lives is he hagiasos uh, us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. When we get to uh, Romans 1, 7, we see this word again, the same word, hagias, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be hagias. Your version says saints. I checked all the versions. All the versions say saints. So we have saints, sanctified, holy. Saints, sanctified, holy, all from the same root. Uh, and I was struck that we are called by the same name that God calls His Holy Spirit, this Hagios. Isaiah 43, 5 and 7 says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. He calls us by His name. And sanctification is the process whereby he is making us worthy, living, having us live up to that. Uh, 
we'll get to the rest of that verse actually later on. So sanctify kind of has two meanings. It has this initial meaning of set apart, uh, made holy. This happens in our salvation. At justification, we are set apart for God. We are declared holy. We're declared righteous. But it also goes on in the process of purifying and living out in our bodies what is true in our soul. And we're going to get to more definition shortly. 1 Corinthians 6.11, this is that... It's a done deal. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been set apart by God to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So you have been sanctified, and God is currently working to further that sanctification, to make it a reality. Uh, Matthew 26.41 says, The Spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. This is that dichotomy that we see, that we are saved. We have been saved. It's a moment in time that we were saved. We are being saved. And our salvation will be perfected at death, at Christ's return. Whichever comes first for us. So let's look at some definitions we have. Um, We're going through the catechism uh, on Sunday mornings in our uh, worship service. From the Baptist Catechism, question 38 says, What is sanctification? This is a good question. I'm glad they answer it. It says, Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So it's a work of God, whereby we are renewed whole man. It's a complete uh, change in, in mind, soul, body, after the image of God and are enabled more and more Spirit's part, our part. God, does, God changes us. We are enabled to cooperate in that. Uh, from the Ligonier Reformation Study, or I actually don't know, I should have asked Luke, if the, the, the Reformation Study Bible is part of Ligonier. It was a Ligonier site quoting Reformation Study Bible. Uh, defines the uh, sanctification as, is a continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. Let me interject real quick. I'm giving you all these definitions because just like I said a minute ago, sometimes we hear something over and over and over again, and it doesn't sink in. I'm hoping by giving you the shotgun approach that something's going to catch. That, you know, I I put enough ammo out there, something's going to catch, and it's going to make sense to you. Uh, So here are our various different definitions. Louis Burkhoff and his... Uh, systematic theology defines sanctification as a supernatural work of God that consists fundamentally and primarily in a divine operation of the soul, whereby holy disposition born in regeneration is strengthened and its holy exercises increased. It is essentially a work of God, though insofar as he employs means, man can and is expected to cooperate by the proper use of these means. So again, it's a work of God that we're expected to cooperate in. I boil that down for, for me. This is me trying to make sense of it. This is my definition. If I ever write the dictionary I've talked about writing since I was a kid, this is going in there. Sanctification is the work of God the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, whereby we are enabled and made willing and eager participants in the daily mortification of sin in our lives, conforming us to the image of God the Son to the glory of God the Father. So let's boil that down even more. If I'm teaching, this, actually this is what we talk about in our Wednesday night class with the families. What does that 
boil down to basic, most simplest explanation, God changes our want-tos to his want-tos. He changes our desires to line up with his. So we're going to look tonight at God's purpose in sanctification, his process of sanctification, and God's promise of sanctification. God's purpose of sanctification. First and foremost, remember, if you, if you remember a couple months ago when I preached, uh, looking at the story of the Bible, what is that one story? Again, we go through this every Wednesday night with our kids. What is the one story of the Bible? It's the story of God glorifying himself through time and eternity by saving sinful man, by redeeming lost men and women, boys and girls. God glorifying himself. Our lives, we're continuing in that same story of God glorifying himself. Isaiah 42 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Isaiah 48 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. What? Everything. For my own sake, I do it. I, my glory, uh, sorry. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. For God to do anything, for any purpose that is not for his own glory, if his, his purpose is to glorify anybody else, it would be for God to be unjust. Because God alone is worthy of glory. God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of praise. And so for God to unjustly attribute, do something for the glory of another, would be blasphemy. And God would no longer be just. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, having been predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He saved us for his glory. He goes on working that process, that, that salvation, the justification, sanctification, glorification, for his glory. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of me? I'm not trying to do this for my glory. I'm not trying to be the big show here. I'm pointing you to Christ. As I'm being changed, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about his glory. And so as we're looking at sanctification, whatever action I'm about to partake in, whatever my, my habit is, whatever my, uh, you name it, can I confidently and clearly, with a clear conscience, say, I'm doing this to the glory of God. Because if not, there's a problem. That should be the standard that we hold ourselves to. Is that, is this glorifying God? It's not, does this make so-and-so happy? Is this a standard that so-and-so expects me to do? It's, can I confidently, one day I will, stand before my Creator and say, I have done this for your glory. Accept this offering. We're told in uh, 1 Samuel, I'm not going to find the verse off the top of my head, um, that God requires obedience, not sacrifice. This is something we've, we've talked about with our children for years, is that I want you to obey, but, but Daddy, but Daddy, I know you say clean my room, but look, I want to give you a hug. I just love you so much, Daddy. I just, I just want to give you a hug first. It's like, I love you too, but obedience. It's, we can't just decide, this is what I want to do for God. This is what is going to please Him. God has said, this is what I expect. God sets the standard. It's up to us to work in our own lives to change. To, we can't change our own heart. That's a work of the Spirit. But to, uh, insofar as we can, to put those things away from us so that we're seeking God's glory. Uh, 
another purpose. These are all tied together. Um, it's why he created us and saved us. He created us for sanctification. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us. He saved us in salvation, uh, making us a new creation. The purpose of that is so that we can do good works. Prior to salvation, as fallen Decrepit, uh, what's the, the Calvinistic term? Uh, depraved. depraved, yes, that was gone. Uh, as totally depraved, nothing we do can please God. Uh, Vody Bauckham put it this way. He said that doing something morally uh, beneficial before God, doing something that's acceptable to God, it must be the right thing done the right way for the right reason. And on our own, we can get two of those. We can do something the right way. We can do something, the, the right thing. I got this backwards. We can do the right thing. We can do it the right way. But apart from God, we can't do it for the right reason. Because anything that's not of faith is sin. We were created unto God, good works. Uh, as we talk about in our catechism, when we go through the catechism on Wednesday nights, it's a rotating curriculum. Um, how and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. We're going to run through some questions, so just follow me. So, we're made to glorify Him. How do we glorify God? By loving Him and obeying His commands and law. So, what does the law of God require? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Sanctification is the changing of our want-tos, so that we want to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's changing our want to so that we want to walk in those good works that he's done. This is both the uh, dying to sin, putting away those things that no longer please God, and actively working those things that do please God, doing those things that he has commanded us to do. These, this walking good works that Ephesians 2.10 talks about, that is part of our sanctification, that walking with him. Thirdly, uh, God's purpose is that we be Christ-like. Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. All those definitions we talked about, that God is changing us, He's changing us, He's changing us. Well, to what? He's changing us to be Christ-like. He's changing us to be conformed to His image. Uh, pastor likes to, to bring up sometimes that, well, I'm not Jesus. And it's like, we know. But child of God, you're called to look, act, and think like him. So fix it. Um, James White gave a, a, a picture uh, that he actually got from his father, who was a pastor, um, about gold refining or refining gold. And so if, if you don't know anything about gold, it doesn't just come in pretty bars all stamped and shaped and all. Uh, you got to dig it out of the rock, and it's a, it's a, it's a process. Um, Nowadays, there's a lot of chemicals and electri- electricity, uh, but in the old days, you had a guy with a, a hammer and a chisel, and he's ch- chipping it out of the, the rock, and then it goes to a refiner, a smith. And that goldsmith takes that chunk, that ore, and breaks out the, the ore, gets out the, the rough parts. So this kind of sounds like, you know, we've been saved, we've been pulled out of the world, and we get those rough bits ch- chunked off, uh, knocked off, and he puts it in fire. 
usually around a, you got a crucible and you just throw it right in the fire. You got a crucible um, and you heat it up and that gold will sink and the dross that, that worthless stuff floats to the top. And so he skims it off and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And the point was made that the goldsmith knows he has pure gold when he sees himself in the finished product. That's what God's doing to us. He's heating us. He's dredging off that stuff that doesn't please him, working through to see himself. That is God's... uh, This this is not all-encompassing, but that is uh, part of God's purpose in sanctification. God's process of sanctification. John Owens has an excellent work uh, on temptation. Uh, And as I was reading that this week, this verse stood out to me. It's like, again, like I said, when when all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Um, This stood out to me as this is that that process being worked out. Matthew 26, 41, uh, Jesus telling the disciples in the garden uh, when he's praying, he told them, you know, y'all stay here and pray. I'm going to go a little farther and pray. And he comes back and finds them asleep. He tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I say, that's that our part, God's part, in sanctification. Watch. That's us. Beware. Take heed. Keep your eyes open. Be thinking. Be intentional. And pray. That's, that's also our part, but that shows our reliance on God. It's God doing it. Watch. Do your part. And pray. Trust God to do His part. So what does God use? What is this process of sanctification? Uh, God uses His Word. John 17, 17, 19, Jesus praying to the Father, the high priestly prayer. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Sanctified in truth. We have to be confronted with truth to be able to line up with truth. Uh, I think of we, we've got these, uh, I call them default settings. Uh, you can biases or whatever, it's just... Whatever we've grown up with, we, especially from a young age, we get these just ideas that are often very wrong, but they're just how we see the world. But we can't correct those things if all we have is those things before us. We have to be confronted with truth. That is one of the, the things that God uses uh, and gave us specifically for our sanctification was his word to, to confront us with the truth and show us. If you've ever used a, a plumb bob in construction, you got a line. This is a straight line. If your wall is leaning like this, you're, you're building a wall and your stud is over here, you got a problem. You're, you're not lined up. The, the Word of God is our measure that we have to line up against. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very familiar. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it is profitable for teaching. This is that, here's the truth. You, you need to line up here. This is what you need to know. This is, you're insufficient in this area. For a proof, this is where you're wrong. This is where you got you to gotta fix this. This is where you're wrong. Where proof is, is that correcting of what is uh, incorrect. Uh, for correction, this is fixing what's broken. Uh, I heard somebody say that this was like, it's more of a medical term. That it's mending the broken arm. That's what this correction looks like. It's not just, so we have teaching is, here's the truth. Reproof is, this is where you're wrong and messed up. Correction is, let's fix what's been broken. And then for training in righteousness, this is doing those things that we're called to do. 
This is that two part of uh, sanctification. Teaching, reproof, correction. This is taking care of our sin. This is where we don't line up. Training in righteousness. Go forth and do what God said to do. So God uses his word in our reading, uh, our study, our meditation, the preaching of his word. We should all be involved in reading our Bible. If God's using his word for our sanctification, he's not going to just zap it in and say, here is my word in your brain. Good for you. No, we've got to read it. We've got to put it uh, before us. We've got to study it. Uh, I've had discussions uh, with my brother about studying versus uh, reading. Reading is good. Study is better. Because this is getting into it. This is applying it. This is wrestling with it. We've talked before about how do we get stronger? We lift heavy things. We have to be stronger in the Word by wrestling with the Word of God, letting it say what it actually says versus what I want it to say, meditating on it. Whatever you've read in the morning, think on this throughout. God will, I've found God brings his word back to our mind as we're thinking about it. We may not have it memorized, but there's enough there that we can go and find it if we need clarity on something. As we're thinking about it, it's like, you know, I wonder if, like in the, uh, the Hagios, uh, I, I heard the, uh, was checking out the, that Greek, and I was going on the road listening to a sermon, and that, that Greek aspect was brought up. It's like, okay, so if... Saint and sanctify and holy, this is, is hagios then that Holy Spirit? Is this the same word? And it, you know, God brought to mind these things that I'd already read. Uh, the preaching of the Word of God, this is so important. And I'm not saying that as the preacher up here. I'm saying this as the guy who's usually in the, in the, in the, the pew. Is that we must be confronted with what thus says the Lord. The, the Ethiopian eunuch said, here's, here's God's Word, but how do I understand it? We are all believer priests. We all have the Holy Spirit inside of us who will, as believers, um, who quickens his word to us, who interprets it. Uh, the song Bradley sang that last verse is like, God interprets his word for us. But sometimes we need more. Sometimes we need that other aspect. Uh, I heard this week and it, it killed me. Um, a guy was asking the question about, you know, what have you done post-COVID with your church? Have you gone back to church? Are you still in church? Were you ever in church to begin with? And he said, I've not been back since COVID because I don't need preaching. I've taught seminary. I've taught classes on preaching, so I don't need it anymore. And I'm like, how? How can you? Like, there, there have been so many steps that have been gone wrong to get to that point to say, I, I don't need the preaching God's already. I know it all. I can tell you everything that it says. We need the preaching of God's word. Another process, the killing of sin. I love James Pendleton. Uh, this was one of the first uh, kind of soft, systematic theologies that I ever came across. Um, when I, early in my, my preaching career, um, his uh, Christian doctrines. This is from his chapter on sanctification. Uh, you've got it there. So sanctification implies the crucifixion of sin. From Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. To mortify is to put to death, and there must be an earnest and constant effort to put sin to death, to crucify it. The warfare against sin must be impartial. There must be no favorite sins. A war of extermination must be waged against every sin. Temptations to the commission of outward sins must be resisted, and our inward enemies, the sins of the heart, must be dragged forth from their lurking places and slain before the Lord. 
that picture I get when I think when I read that was Elijah and the prophets of Baal that they pulled them and slew them before the Lord, hunt them down every single one, slay them before the Lord. Sin is so great and evil that if the right hand offends or leads to sin, it is better to cut off that right hand than to retain it. If the right eye involves its possessor in sin, it is the part of wisdom to pluck it out, however severe the excision may be. What a fearful, evil sin must be. The death of crucifixion was usually a lingering death, and the crucifixion of sin is often a lingering process. It's pretty severe. God takes sin seriously. I was thinking, we, we so often want, like, I'm sanctified, I've made it, I've reached it, I'm done. Uh, or to just be zapped into, you know, I'm saved, now everything is, I don't have to worry about sin anymore. Um, several years, 16, 15 years ago, I was in Missouri. I didn't like Missouri. Um, we came out, I was helping a buddy move, and we pulled out of their road, and we came up to a, a T-intersection. As far forward as you could see, it was just field. But this road went as far left as you could see and as far right as you could see. And there was not a hill. There was not a tree. There was not a bump in the road. It was just flat. Man, I miss Tennessee. But that's kind of what we want sanctification to look like. It's smooth sailing. Bloop, 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 bloop. You know, no, no, no ups and downs. Uh, whereas sanctification is a whole lot more like the hills of Tennessee, where we're doing good, we're doing good. Oh, you know... It, But there's also this aspect that as we're growing more Christ-like, as we're killing sin, we see more sin to kill. And so it's this ongoing struggle that those easy things, so hopefully in in salvation, you've stopped killing people, you've stopped uh, fornicating, drugs, stealing, lying. But then once we get those big ones out of the way, we start finding that there's coveting, there's pride, there's gluttony, there's all these things that are not just the outward acts that we do, it's those inward things that are kind of wrapped around our heart like a, a, a vine around a tree. That sometimes to get that vine out, you've got to take the tree out. God is a master refiner though. He's not going to burn the gold. He knows what he's doing. He's very good at this. Trust him for it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. For this is the will of God. Don't you love it when you find these verses? You know, so often people say, like, I just wish I knew God's will for my life. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is a serious matter, brothers and sisters. This is not just an option of killing sin or not. Whoever does not, whoever disregards this, disregards God, who has given his Holy Spirit to you. We must take seriously every moment, every day. Watch and pray. Take heed. Thirdly, uh, another thing that, that Christ uses, that the Spirit uses, 
this fellowship with the believers. We need one another. We need uh, this daily exhortation. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, the Legacy Standard Bible has recently come out, and I was checking it out. They, they uh, translate this exhort one another every day as day after day. It's an ongoing day after day after day. Exhort one another. Encourage. Inspire with courage one another. As long as it's called today. It's kind of like only on days that end in Y do we need encouragement. If it's today, I need encouragement. If it's today, you do too. We are a vital part in one another's sanctification. As that iron sharpens iron, as we rub against one another, knocking off those, those hard spots. That doesn't happen if we're not daily involved in each other's lives. We come, we see each other, hi, how are you? I'm too blessed to be stressed out the door and we're, we're done. And that's all the conversation we have. But if we have this daily ongoing, eventually, I promise you, if you have this ongoing thing, you, you, you know, you go from dating and you see each other just a couple hours a week to you're living together all, all the time. Eventually, somebody's going to get fed up and finally tell you what they think. You're finally, somebody's going to say, you know, at, taking it out of marriage, but uh, as we're living uh, among one another daily in our lives, you're gonna, how are you? Man, you don't want to know. It's like, no, I do. That's why I asked the question. And so now we can actually sit down and have this conversation and encourage one another. Twice recently, uh, Bethany and I have had the opportunity to sit down with a parent. Uh, trying to think of the second one. The first one was a mom. It's funny when you have so many kids along the way that you can have young kids but also older kids. So you're in the same kind of stage of life, but you're also a little bit further along. Um, with a mom who had kids, our younger kids' ages, and we were able to show her, this week, this is how we've struggled. This is how God has helped us through. Not some theoretical, not some, uh, you know, maybe this will help you. This is what we've done this week. And it was a blessing for us to be able to see. We see in Scripture, these things happen to them as an example, but for, or as for, but for you an instruction that these things happen to the, the people in the Old Testament for them, but also it's recorded for you. Learn from it. That's true for us now, too. The things that we experience are not just for ourselves, so we can tell others, here's where God's been faithful in my life. Here's the sin that he's chipping out from my life. We need one another. But... Our sanctification is not dependent on one another. I'm not responsible for your sanctification insofar as I'm being obedient. So, the pastor's been here for a long time, longer than I've been alive, and you've been preaching. And as we talked about, preaching is part of what God uses to sanctify his people. So this is personal encouragement for you, is that you're not responsible. Jaden, one of our pastors, is not responsible for people who you've faithfully given the word to and they run away. They flee. That's on them. We are all called to be obedient, to be faithful. And so it can be discouraging 
Um, a couple years ago, I, I was talking with a, a, a family member who was about to go through a divorce. I was like, please don't do this. Please let me talk with you once. Let's just sit down and, and, and talk. Let's see if we can find hope here. And they wouldn't do it. And it broke my heart. But I did what I could. I tried. God uses his word. He uses truth. We can pray for one another. We can preach till we're blue in the face. But we are not responsible for changing people's hearts. What a burden that takes off of us. What a blessing that is when we, we apply that to salvation. I'm not responsible for getting you saved. That's God's work. I don't have to worry about the tally marks of the, the, the numbers I've got in the, the back of my Bible to show how many people I've led to the Lord. I've preached God's word. God's word goes forth. He will not, it will not return to him void. I'm going to keep going. What is our response to sanctification? James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sanctified. Count it all joy. So there's two ways we can look at count it all joy. And I, I saw this in, in several different uh, resources um, of, you know, what do we, how do we understand this count it all joy? Do we count it all, like everything, do we count everything as being joy for us? Or do we count it as the full satisfaction of joy? Both. Count, it, count everything that you go through as something that can inspire joy in you. To the full satisfaction, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness has its full effect, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Taking it back to that gold, gold refiner, usually when that fire is burning, we're like, please stop, please stop, please, please cut it out. I can't take this anymore. But when our eye is on, I want to be like Christ, then my prayer is, should be, our prayer, the, 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 the right response is turn up the fire. Give me more heat. Burn it all out. What about when a brother or sister is the one that comes and tells us of our sin? If we're engaged in a war of extermination against our sin, and a brother or sister comes and says, hey, there's one. You know what I'm going to do? What do you mean? How dare you? There's yours, there's yours, there's yours. Our response should be thank you. I was looking for that. Thank you. There's one. I, I didn't see that. I had no idea. There's one that was one of those lurking places. I can go and get it now. Because my goal is not to be kept comfortable. It's to be Christ-like. Now the good stuff. It's all good stuff. God's promise of sanctification. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God promises in every temptation every one with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. 
So what are we looking for? Are we looking for the way of escape, for the excuse to stay in our sin? 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 25, through 25. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. I'm going to read those two verses again. Let's see. Uh, Some of you have seen, because I sent this out this week. Um, You got a text this week on this. Let's see if you see what I see. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Do you see that our sanctification is not hinged? It's not contingent. It's not entirely dependent upon me being faithful. Our sanctification is because God is faithful. He will do it. If my goal in my life is that I be Christ-like, there's no better news. He's going to do it. All these things that hit us day by day, all these things that uh, go back to page three of your notes. I I just realized I skipped one. Uh, All these things, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Ephesians 5.20, those who are filled with the Spirit of God are giving thanks always for everything. All these things, these trials and temptations, daily struggles are things that God can and is using to create the picture of Jesus in our lives. We can give thanks to God for all things that happen to us, that happen through us, in us, because we know that God is using this for our sanctification. Our God himself, the holy, eternally faithful, unchanging, merciful, gracious, loving, and all-powerful Father, who cannot lie, puts himself as the guarantee of our sanctification. It's based on his faithfulness. So, brothers, sisters, pray for us, me, you, that as we go through life, as we're being sanctified, that we would have that heart response of more heat, God, more fire. Show me the sin that doesn't please you, that's not like you. Show me where I don't line up. And that will help. That will that'll solve a lot of our interactions, our problems, uh, interpersonal uh, troubles. So God is faithful. Trust him to do the work and cooperate with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, that uh, this is both a finished work and something that you have called us to do. Lord, our lives are being conformed to the image of your Son. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you have not left us alone. You sent your helper 
your comforter, your advocate, your uh, advisor, as uh, some of the, the different versions say. Um, Lord, you have sent your spirit to sanctify us, to show us daily where we fall short, where we are not pleasing you, where we are lacking. Lord, both in those uh, active ways that we transgress your law, that we rebel against you, where we choose self over you. And Lord, also where we don't do those things that you have called us to. Help us, Father, to rely on you. Lord, you said, be ye holy as I am holy. May that be our true heart's desire as we go through our lives together. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.